0: Today's reading is Philippians 2, verse 1 through 13. Therefore, if you have any any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, in being very nature God, did not consider equality with something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. King's Quest students, first through fourth graders, you can head to the lobby and find your teachers. The rest of you may be seated.
1: Grace, good to be with you this morning. Sing together, worship together to be reminded of what it is we're a part of. Uh, before I preach, I would like to pray, but before that, um, I was, we, we pray together, uh, those who are participating in the service, and uh, my friend Mark, um, who's actually uh, part of the worship band this morning, his prayer was, it so moved me, and it, I realized, oh, this is a prayer for For our community. He said something like, God, uh, I know I feel uncomfortable asking for signs, but um, we need something to happen. Uh, We are so desperate uh, as a people. And I just thought, like, why that moved me so much and why I thought that was a good prayer uh, for us as as a people is because I do think often we are people who are desperate or if we're not, we should be. Desperate to hear from the one who has come to us in Jesus, desperate to be to be filled with the life that he offers. And so I feel as somebody who preaches like that the it's so insufficient. What you you don't need to hear another sermon. Um, what you need is an encounter with the living God. And insofar the sermon or the worship or the service can be an opportunity to experience that encounter, then thanks be to God and amen. But we need to be people who are open and receptive, whose hands are open like this and say, God, I need, I'm desperate, I need to experience life. So I'd like to assume that posture with you this morning, a people whose arms and whose hands are open to receive from God. So take a moment, do this. I'm going to give you some space for you to tell God that you want to hear from him, and then I'll pray, and then we'll get into um the sermon this morning Lord God help us to be people who are desperate who want who who want so desperately to hear from you who want to be people who experience the life that you offer. God, those of us who just made it here in the sense of this is all we felt like we could do this morning, God, I pray that you'd meet us. For those of us who already knew that this is where we were going to be and this is simply part of what we do. Meet us. For those of us who somehow are surprised that we are here at all, God, meet us. We need you to meet us. We trust that you will. We trust that you will speak. We trust that you are the God who gives life. Help us to be receptive. Open our eyes, open our ears so that we might hear from you what you have for us. God. You are the bread of life. You have what we need. Where else can we go? And I pray this morning we would listen with that posture. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've been at Grace for, let's say, the last nine months, then chances are you've heard us talk about three words, at least pretty consistently, um, story, formation, mission. You may have seen um, this fancy drawing. Uh, called a Triangle with some words on it. uh, Story, Formation, Mission. And you would know that this is uh, a framework, a ministry uh, sort of lens that we want to be living into, that we want to help give shape to what it is we do here at Grace. So these three words, um, these three ideas are something that are central to us. We thought it would be good to start the year by reminding us um, of, of these words and how they fit into the life here at Grace. But I don't simply just want to talk about these words or develop them. I really want to connect them and have them interact with some scripture. So we're going to look at Philippians 2 uh, this morning. So if you want to turn to Philippians 2, it's page 980 in the blue Bible that's underneath your seat. And we're going to look at this familiar yet wonderful, beautiful passage. Chances are you've heard this. It is actually one of the passages that I remember committing to memory. Uh, one of the first passages back in like end of middle school, beginning of high school. This is one of the first passages that i memorized and it has continued to be such a significant passage for me um, as I think about the Christian life, as I think about who Jesus is, who God is. Uh, and I want to look at it in light of these three words, story, formation, mission. But just to give you a, a quick Sort of snapshot of what we mean by story, formation, mission. What we mean by story is that we want to be people whose imaginations are shaped by the biblical narrative. Formation, we want to be people whose lives are formed into the likeness of Jesus. And in mission, we want to be people who are empowered by the Spirit to bear witness to the story, to the life of Jesus um, in the world. So story, formation, mission, people whose imaginations are shaped by the story, whose lives are formed into the likeness of Jesus, and whose lives are empowered by the Spirit to be moved out to bear witness um, to the life of Christ in the world. But why and how do these words actually connect to scripture and to this scripture in particular? Well, Philippians 2, um, some scholars actually think that it, it, it's, it's a song, it's a hymn that is a kind of a snapshot of, of, of how Paul imagines or thinks about the gospel, that it is actually like his master story. As he imagines what God is about, what God has done in Jesus, and what will ultimately happen, that's found in a condensed form in this hymn in Philippians 2, um, verses six through 11. We're gonna start in verse one, but that song, that hymn is verses six through 11, as it talks about who Jesus is and what he's like. So as we talk about the story, we talk about the large biblical narrative of creation, that God created the world, fall, that humanity rejected God, then redemption, that God is on this ongoing plan to redeem the world through Israel, through Jesus, ultimately through the church. But then there's going to be a final um, chapter of renewal, of restoration, when all things are made new. But as we think about the story, its interpretive center, this biblical narrative finds At its center, this person of Jesus. We want to know the biblical narrative. We need to know what God has done in Jesus. And then that becomes the interpretive lens, the glasses that we put on, that helps illuminate the rest of the story, the rest of Scripture. And so this story, as Paul declares, at its center is this God who descended, that we can glimpse in the person of Jesus— Who came to us in human likeness, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but came to us in the form of a man, humbled himself, emptied himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. But that's not the end of the story. God will then raise up this Jesus, this one, and at his name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There you have it, the story in one one condensed form. But I wanna talk about the idea of story and why it matters uh, for a minute. Why would Paul give this master story to this people? So the book of Philippians is written to a people who are actually under threat of persecution for being um, gospel-centered, gospel-oriented people by actually trusting and believing that Jesus is, in fact, king over all, over Caesar. He is the Lord. And they are under threat that they are going to be persecuted. Paul is wanting to give them and remind them of who they are and this story, to say, you are to be a living embodiment of this story. This story is actually the story that is to narrate your life, to make sense of your life, and in the community that you find yourself part of, the life that you live is actually going to be a life that is lived in reference to that story, that reflects that story. That when people see your life, what they see is the story of God seen in Jesus being played out. So Paul is offering this story to this people who are under threat of persecution so that they would remember who they are, how they're called to live, and that they would then be people who are defined by it that the world might know who this God is and who is at the center of the story, Jesus. Now this this sense of story, of of how that we live storied lives is something that probably is familiar to us. But I wonder if we take stock and understand or at least reflect on the story that we're living. Like if I was to ask you, what story are you living? How would you answer that question? If somebody was to look at your life and watch it and be with you in it, and I was then to ask them, okay, you've seen this person for a period of time, what story do you think they're living? What would they say about your life and the story you're living out of? because we're all living out of stories. And our culture, I am part of this culture, would like to believe that somehow I am able to choose from all of these different stories. That my identity is one who is able to look sort of objectively at all these stories and then pick the best one. A person I love named Stanley Hauerwas, he puts it this way. He says that living out of the biblical story is difficult because we're often led to believe that we are people who should have no story except the story that they choose when they had no story. I'm going to say that again. That we are people who are led to believe that we should have no story except the story they chose when they had no story. So what he's saying is we actually live in a culture where people believe they're unstoried. They come in without a story And what they end up doing is look at all the different stories, and they get to pick the story they think is best for them. And then that is their story. He says that culture is so hooked on this idea that somehow we can just look at all of it, and we can pick the one that's right for me. He says this actually produces Christians who would say things like, Jesus is Lord, but that's just my personal opinion. Because if we aren't, in fact, unstoried people, if what Paul is saying is this is the story of the world, then this is the story of and for everyone. This is actually the story. I am not coming into this world unstoried. I am born into a story that says God has created this world, that humanity has rejected this God, that God did not forget about this what he's created and came to us in jesus that jesus dies on behalf of what's been created and is then raised again and will one day be glorified that that in fact is the story so we can be christians who say jesus is lord and that's it but we i don't often live with this conviction i don't live with the sense that that's the story it is easy to be timid in light of all the other stories, and to wonder, is this really the best story? And if we look at my life, if we look at the other lives of Christians, it might be easy to assume, if that's the story, no thank you. If that's really the story that we've been given as a church, no way. Certainly, people look at the church and be like, I don't think I want that story. That story produces a lot of this or that. But Paul actually believes that the true story of the world can be glimpsed in the person of Jesus, and that we can see what God is up to through that person, and that that becomes the true story of our lives. And it should be our reference point from which we live and understand and think and do and believe. It is the story. Why this, why this also, I think, is important is because if we think, even as Christians, that we are people who have no story except for the story that we choose when we had no story, then it can produce a level of arrogance and pride because we think we have done the best job of looking at all the different stories and then saying, yes, this is the one. How can all of these other people not believe that? But part of why what we, do when we believe the story is that we have given ourselves to the understanding that somehow God has revealed himself to us. We know this story is true because God moved toward us, not because we actually know best, not because in my infinite and remarkable wisdom and intelligence was able to see that this is in fact completely true. No, my eyes have been opened up by the grace and love of God. My eyes have been opened up by the grace and love of God, which should produce this sense of humility and compassion and desire to live from this story and to bear witness to this story. Not to condemn people who don't believe in this story, but to show how remarkable and beautiful it is with my life, with our life together as a church. And so story is so central to the biblical narrative, but also to how we understand our lives. The story of Jesus, the story of Scripture, with Jesus at its center, is the true story of the whole world. Christians, we whose eyes have been opened to that story, should believe that and have confidence in it. And the humility that's then produced from the grace of God who's helped us to see and understand the truth of that. And Paul, as he gives this story to Philippians, to the, to the church in Philippi, he tells them in Philippians one, if you wanna just turn over to, to verse 27, he says, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. So you have the story. This is what is to make sense of your entire life as a person and also as a community and live your life in a manner worthy of that gospel, of that good news. So there's this sense of knowing a story, but there's this sense of living one's life in light of that story. And this is where the formation component comes in. Let's look at Philippians 2, starting in verse 1. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus." And then he goes on to tell the story that we talked about. What I find so remarkable about Scripture, and even my ability to resist Scripture, is that Paul isn't just giving us good ideas. Like, Paul actually believes this. And my resistance to it is like, yeah, sure, Paul, it sounds great, but... no, not completely. You don't really mean this. I mean, you know, like, all the dynamics at play in a person, right, that, that, where this doesn't work out. But Paul is actually a person who believes that if our lives are lived in light of that story, and that if the person and work of Jesus forms our hearts, that we can actually be people who do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. We can actually be a community who lives in humility. I can actually be a friend, a husband, a father, a pastor who regards others as better than myself. That you can actually be a person who looks not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Like, that this is, this is actually possible. This is true. This is what the Spirit of God wants to work in our lives. This is what the person of Jesus, who is alive and active and at work in His Spirit, wants to do in my heart. In our hearts together. But it requires that we are people who are formed in that way, who open ourselves up to that formation. I mean, some key language here is verse 5. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Now, words here can also be put in cultivate this mind in you, develop this mind. This sense of letting is both an active and like an openness. So let have this same mind, but also be open to having this mind formed and shaped in you. Because Paul actually wants this to happen for Christians, for the community. And where does it come from? How do we know what it looks like? Who is the person who is this way? The person of Jesus. Verse six, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave and being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That this is the life that Jesus revealed to us that the Spirit of God wants to form in us and again Paul actually believes that this can take place and that this that God wants this to take place in our lives this is the process of sanctification our becoming more and more like Jesus Romans 12 verse 1 through 3 says this I appeal to you therefore brothers and sisters on the basis of God's mercy to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Galatians 2.20, Paul says this, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. I mean, think about that claim. It is absolutely crazy. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If we are people who have entrusted our lives to Christ and the Spirit of God is at work in our lives, it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. Christ Alive in us, Christ at work in us, Christ shaping and forming us into his likeness. If we are so compelled by the person of Jesus as you imagine the story that Paul is telling of a God glimpsed in Jesus who in this holy descent took on the form of those he came to be with giving up his high status, taking on a lower status, and then emptying himself in humility, becoming obedient to the point of death on behalf of others. This is actually the life that we can live. This is the life not only that we could live, but as the Spirit of God shapes and forms us that we would want to live that we would so desire, that we would see as the good life, as the wonderful life. And this formation is something that God is up to in our lives, but it's something we participate in. And you look down in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Again, previously in Philippians 1, live a life worthy. So there's this sense of of participation. There is this sense of agency as a believer, as a Christian, who's called to live in this way. Work it out. You know the story. Christ at work in you through the Spirit, shaping and forming you. So live in that way. It's not just simply passive, standing back. No, it's something we do and participate in. But then if you move or continue in the passage, starting in verse 12 again, Therefore, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you to will and to work for his good pleasure. So yes, as Christians who have been pulled into the story, who recognize this is the true story of the world, live into it. But know that you're living into it is only enabled by God. So this is a word for those who would love to have like a passive Christianity that you don't really need to do much. Just kind of sit back, and just let God do it. Work in you. Awesome. Great. No, this is a word for you. No, work it out do something. But for those who are good at working it out, for those who find some sense of identity in knowing that you are a super Christian and you are completely faithful, it's not you. You don't know what you're doing. God is enabling you to do it for his own good pleasure, for his own good work. So right, this produces some sense of motivation, but also some sense of humility. I mean, do you hear that here? Paul is saying, this is the story, live into it, but know in your living, you can do nothing on your own. God is the one enabling it. God is the one at work. The image that I have is the image of something like a group of people or a person standing on the bank of a stream and seeing it flow. So that something like God's love and grace and the spiritual life is the stream that is moving. Not because of you, not by your own power, and that somehow we on this bank are called to trust, to maybe jump in and see where that stream of God's grace and love and work and formation takes us. And it's risky, and it's scary. And chances are, many of you have taken the plunge, so to speak, and you've jumped in. And when we often find ourselves in that stream that is moving, not because of us, but because of God's grace, we find ourselves often, oh no, what have we done? And we freak out, and we try to swim. And we try to swim against that flow. We try to find rocks to hold on to and we get exhausted trying to do that. And you know what? Some of us, we actually find ourselves swimming to the edge and we swim across and then we stand on this embankment, think, oh my gosh, we're safe, I'm not in that anymore. But then you don't know where you are. You don't even know where to go. You see this stream flowing, you're not in that anymore. That feels good to not be in that. But then you feel a little bit, like, disoriented because you have no idea where you are. And then where are you going to go from there? And often we find ourselves like that in in the life of faith, fighting, working against the flow, actually stepping out of it. But it's always moving and it's always going because it's God's grace and love that's enabling that flow. And the call is to just to, to go. If we could be a people who trust together that God's love and grace and formative work is happening all the time, and we together jump in and see where it takes us. See where it takes us in the hands of the loving Father who wants to work in my life, shape and form my heart, which hurts and breaks and somehow becomes molded into something different and beautiful I mean, that is the work of formation. So not only are we called to live into a story, we actually need to be people who are formed to be able to live in that story. And that's what the Spirit of God is up to. That's what the person of Jesus is calling us into, to follow him. Come, follow me, repent, confess all the ways, all the ways that we resist. How do you resist? How do you resist jumping into the stream of God's grace and love and formative work? How do you resist that? I mean, some of you, if you're like me, you know, I want to be this way, and I try but it turns out I can't be. Man, I wish I was, I want to be more patient, I actually want to be a person who can be interrupted. I want to be a person who's able to use my time in, in ways that are, that are for the sake of the kingdom and the gospel. But it turns out, like, I'm also a person marked by fear. Like, I, I believe that, that somehow that I need the things that I need and I want to control them and I don't want to give them away. I want to live a life like this, not like this. I mean, we all feel this tension. If you are a Christian, the thing that you are plagued with is tension in your life. That is actually, you're haunted by, by Christ in some way. And that's actually good news. The scary news would be over time, you don't feel that tension anymore. You're fine doing this. You don't even know you're doing it anymore. So if you are finding yourself in a place where you, were just, you are in resistance to, you know what, what Jesus is calling you into, but you resist it, good that resistance right there in that moment is an opportunity it's an opportunity to experience afresh the good news of Jesus and the formative work of the Spirit but you've <sighs> got to be able to see it and to confess it and to be honest about it I meet mean, with a, uh, with a couple guys every month where this is what we do we actually come together And we consider our life together, where we are, and often what we're talking about are the ways we resisted God. The ways that we we sensed maybe God at work, but also our own participation, both positive and negative in that following Jesus. But that formative work is what Jesus is up to in our lives to help us be people who live faithfully in light of the story that's true. So finally, mission. We see the missional sort of ending of where it all leads in Philippians 2. Verse nine, therefore God also highly exalted him, speaking of Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name. So this exaltation, both in resurrection, we see that, that Jesus has defeated death. He is in fact Lord of all, even over the enemy that is death. And he gave him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus Every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is where it's headed. This is where it's going, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is where the story goes, and this is why it's important again to know where the story is headed so that we know how to live in light of where it's going. We are to live lives. We are called to be people who think about and consider what does it mean for the kingdom of God to be in the present, in the moment. We are people who pray the prayer that Jesus gives us. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does it both look like to be people who live our lives so that we ourselves are bending our knee and confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, but what does it look like to actually consider the ways that the kingdom of God could be actualized in small ways or glimpsed in small ways in the here and now? What does that mean for our city? And we're in a process of developing that and looking uh, looking at that and thinking about that. What does that mean for your street? What does that mean for my kid's school? What does that mean for these families that I have in my mind? What does that mean for our neighbors who walk down the street? This reminds me, um, the other day when it was raining, one of our, uh, our kids saw a man who appeared to be homeless walking by in the pouring rain with a, a cardboard box over their head. And, and my oldest son was like, we need to go give that person an umbrella, and and I wasn't there. I take no credit for anything that happened here. I'm just tell, I'm just I'm just a messenger. But then the the yeah the family goes and he goes and he gives this man an umbrella, and that to me is mission. It is not everything. It is not enough. But it is not nothing. There, that, that, that man is, is going to experience something that day that he will then recognize that he will have greater need that, that is far beyond what we are able to do. But the Spirit of God working in a 10-year-old who is able to see a person who recognizes that we, as a family, have enough of something that this person needs, then wants to give that person something, and then does kingdom of God small glimpse of it, it's easy easy enough for a 10-year-old. Or maybe it's hard enough that it takes a 10-year-old to do it. Either way, kingdom of God on mission. This is what it looks like. These moments where we actually become a community who considers seriously what it looks like for God's kingdom to come and His will to be done. That is where the story ends, but if we look at Philippians 2, it's not just What, but how? Like, there is a way of mission. And that way is a cruciform life. The way of mission is the way of suffering. The way of mission is the way of suffering. I'm going to read it again. Verse 6. Or verse 5, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So it's not just where mission leads, but it's how it actually is done and the way it is done is in the way of self-emptying, self-sacrificing, humble, obedient love. Like the church can be really good at doing missional things, and also we can still be terrible people. We can actually, we can be, we can be really good at alleviating some of the world's suffering But we can be completely unformed, unloving, ungracious, uncompassionate people. What God is after is both things. The mission of God realized through people who are willing to open themselves up in the way that Jesus did and hold nothing back. That one's whole life is given for the sake of others. And this is the type of life that we actually have the opportunity to live. A cruciform life marked by suffering in the way that Jesus suffered. I mean, it's amazing. It's a beautiful thing that we have. But again, this is where formation comes in. For the Spirit of God, through Jesus, to be forming us into people who want to live this way. Who want to love in this way. Because this is ultimately what Jesus is showing us to do. Dallas Willard says this, speaking about love. In the deepest sense, love is not something you choose to do. It is what you become, a loving person. Your will is your capacity to bring things and events and processes into existence. It is the control center of the self, the heart of the human spirit. It is meant to direct all aspects of the self. When love pervades your will, all these other dimensions, your mind with its thoughts, images and feelings, desires and emotions, your body, your social relationships, indeed your whole soul. They work in harmony with and in service to the kingdom of God, and your life becomes a testimony to the God who meets your every need. So let me break this down for a minute. What Dallas Willard is saying is that what what God is after is not just for us to do loving things, but to actually be people who are loving, and there's a difference. We can be people who do loving things, and it can turn out we are actually not very loving at all. What God is after, what it looks like to enact and to embody and to work out this missional calling that we have is to be people who are so open and avail ourselves to the work of God that inside we become loving. And then it turns out what we do are loving things. So as a church, we're not called to do loving things. We're called to be loving people. And that is is God's work. And if you want to be a loving person and not just do loving things, then it requires the Spirit of God and a whole life to learn because our lives are habituated in other directions. We want nothing to do with actually like loving because it's so against like, what, what we are capable of doing. But as our desires are reshaped and reformed, want to love then the Spirit of God can meet us into actually be people who do love who are loving so one of the things that Willard suggests this is a suggestion to you is that um, what does it look like to love somebody this week not everybody because you can't love everybody but you can love somebody what does it look like to love somebody and then to think of this as an experiment in love and I'm curious who comes to mind for you. And he says, it's probably, it's probably good to start with somebody who's, who's like not so difficult. So probably not a family member. <laughs> but he, he says, who, who might you consider loving? And that requires a few different steps. On the one hand, it requires the sense to decide to love that person. So you need to make a decision to love that person. Part of that is is it looks like by asking God to show you things about that person that you might be grateful for. That's another step. Then you start to think about, how can I serve this person? And he said, not in an abstract way. You are the one loving. So what does it look like for you and what you've been given to love that person? And then give it a shot. So that's a question for you, is who or what somebody are you gonna choose to love this week? And again, maybe it's as simple as as a neighbor, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a parent's friend, maybe it's your kid's parent. I don't know who it is, but chances are you have somebody in mind. And what does this experiment in love look like? And then, what if we were a community of people who thought about loving in this way, who were loving somebody, not just everybody, because that's impossible. So where do we go from here? Here are the three questions I'd love to leave you with for you to actually think about and consider. In light of Philippians 2, in light of story, formation, mission, the first one is, what story are you living? To actually sit with that question, to think about it, to ask people who know you, what story do you think I'm living? Second question is, what ways might you cultivate the mind of Christ this week? What does it look like for you to let yourself have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus as it's described in Philippians 2? Maybe that's beginning the day differently by opening yourselves up to the person of Jesus who wants to work in your life. Maybe that's actually getting away for a minute, for a moment, in whatever way you can to think about in your mind who the person of Jesus is, what he's revealed himself to be, and to be moved by this text. And then lastly, which somebody might you decide to love this week? Which somebody might you, might you decide to love this week? Again, by asking God to show you things that that person is or, or what they do that you can be thankful for. And then by thinking about how you might be called to serve them and who you are and how God has made you so I'd love for you to sit with those questions this week Um, worship band you can come up we're gonna take some we're gonna transition this time into an opportunity to to pray for one another Um, to actually move around in your seats or to turn to the person or persons next to you and to be praying for one another it might mean for some of you, you actually already know who you want to go pray for, so you're going to get up and you're going to go. But either way, this is an opportunity to be ministered to and to minister to others. And you can pray in light of these, these, these three things. Pray for, for clarity for a person, or perhaps you might ask for, to be prayed for clarity. You might ask that God would reveal somebody to you to love, that He might reveal to you the ways that you are living um, a different story. But also one of the ways I would love for us to be a community of people who confess the ways that we resist Jesus. Because that is an opportunity, a golden opportunity to see where God, where the spirit of God might want to work. It's not something to be afraid of, but it's something to say, okay, this is how I'm resisting the work of God in my life. That might be something that you share, might be something that you can and pray for. So I'd love to pray over this time and then I'll ask you to move and to pray for each other. God, you are the one who we can glimpse in Jesus, who has come to us as the one who did not regard an equality with God as something to be grasped. Thank you for taking on our likeness. Thank you for showing us a self-emptying, humble, obedient love that gives away on behalf of us. God, I ask that you'd help us to be so compelled and moved by the story that that is true of the world. God, I ask that you'd help us to be people who open ourselves up to the formative work of your spirit to shape us into people who are actually loving. God, I ask that you'd help us to be people who take seriously the call to bear witness to this in the world so that, at the name of Jesus Christ, That every knee would bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. Move us in that way. In Jesus' name, amen. So you may stand and pray for one another.